Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. Pastor Sarah Olson-Smith, 
and I'm so grateful to be with you on this podcast today. In our gospel reading for today's podcast, we hear about an important conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Jesus has a bunch of disciples, another word for followers or students, apprentices, or friends. There are 12 of them that were named along with some women, and there were many more who walked with and learned from and followed Jesus. One of the ones we hear about a lot was a fisherman named Simon, who, as we hear about today, gets a new name, Peter. Our names matter. And especially in the Bible, our names matter. So whenever you hear a story about someone getting a new name, you can know that that story is important. And those people are likely going to get not just a new name, but a new identity, a new role, a new purpose. It's true for Peter in this story. So listen to these words from the gospel according to Matthew and pay attention to the words that Jesus says and the new job that Peter will be entrusted with. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. And here is my sermon with some thoughts on those words from Matthew. This summer, I went back to New Jersey, where I lived and worked before coming here to St. Paul in the Quad Cities. I'm working on a book about the church I served while I was there, a congregation named St. Peter's, a congregation that closed. My first years of ministry were their last years, And I'm writing about their faithfulness and generosity that they showed in their closing. So I went back this summer to do some interviews and to visit some of the places where we worked together. After the congregation closed, the building was sold to an Indian Orthodox congregation. I think it's sort of lovely that this building, which started out as a home to German immigrants in central Jersey in the late 1800s, is now a home to a bunch of Indian immigrants in the 21st century. Well, the priest of that congregation was very gracious and offered to meet me at the church and show me around. And so I pulled up to the building and I parked where I always used to park and walked up to the building. I reflectively pulled out my keys to unlock those red wooden cathedral arch doors. It's funny how old habits last. 
It's been 12 years and I definitely no longer have a key to that building. <laughs> But nonetheless, I tried to unlock the door as I went up. As I was standing there waiting for Father VJ, I remembered when I was first given the keys to that building. And I, the weight of being entrusted to the care of that place and the people. As I slid, I remember sliding that key onto my key ring so many years ago and all the hopes and possibilities the dreams we had for that congregation. It didn't take long for Father Vijay to come and to meet me and with his keys open up that door. We walked through the building and I heard stories of the ministry there and I told stories of the history of St. Peter's. The building was at once familiar and also totally new. We walked into the sanctuary that had been changed a lot for their Orthodox worship But the one thing that stayed the same were these stained glass windows. Stained glass windows beloved to St. Peter's and now to St. Gregorio's congregation as well. We talked about the windows and the people of that place. The last window we came to was the one of St. Peter, the saint of the former St. Peter's Lutheran Church. This window here, this exact one. The words on top of that window are the words we just heard from our reading today, Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And you can see in Peter's hand, keys. In most Christian iconography, in stained glass or statues or paintings, you see St. Peter with keys. Sometimes they're small and regular size, they're often big, sometimes obnoxiously big, like a fake check that is given to scholarship winners. But these images all refer to the story that we heard this morning when Jesus and his friends are on their road to Jerusalem and Jesus asks them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter with boldness and assurance says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This is who I am. And now I will tell you who you are. You are the rock. Peter, this word that comes from the Greek word rock. And on this rock I will build my church. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. These are the keys that are in all of those images. There have been many interpretations about what those keys mean. Within the Roman Catholic Church, the keys are important. They're on the papal flag. They're seen as a sign of the Pope's continuation of divine authority all the way back to St. Peter, who was seen as the first Pope. Some have interpreted these words to see that Peter now holds the keys to heaven and hell, Some of those pictures have a gold key, this key to the gates of heaven, and an iron key for the gates of hell. Peter is sort of this heavenly bouncer, letting some people in and other people out. Others have interpreted these words to name the ways that leaders of the church have the power to declare forgiveness or to withhold it. These words about keys have had lots of interpretations over the centuries, in many ways to perpetuate and increase the hierarchical and often excluding power of the church. But Jesus doesn't say that he will give Simon Peter the keys to the gates of heaven. 
but he says he will give Simon Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whenever Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's not that city with gold streets and the clouds with pearly gates. Instead, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven coming near, breaking into this world, coming now. The kingdom of heaven is when God's rules and will and ways reign in the world. The kingdom of heaven isn't a place, but it's a vision of how things will be when God's hopes for the flourishing and the abundance of all creation will be experienced. The kingdom of heaven is what happens when our prayers, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven, when those prayers become realized, or maybe even simply glimpsed. So when Jesus says to Simon Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, it's not about giving Peter this job as chief bouncer or gatekeeper. Instead, I think it's about Jesus giving Peter the responsibility, the authority of making God's dreams become real in this world. Simon Peter gets a new name and a job. When I was in New Jersey looking at that window, I remembered how, and this really isn't a great practice, but nearly everyone in that congregation I served had their own keys to that building. (laughs) It was a tiny church, and the staff was me and two other part-time people. Everybody had all kinds of jobs keeping that place going. I remember once telling um, my husband, I said, Clark, there are so many keys at St. Peter's that even the stained glass windows have one. (laughs) But we are all given those keys. They're not just for Peter. Those words that Jesus spoke to Simon Peter are for all of us who make that same profession of faith that Jesus is the son of the living God, the one who saves us. Jesus entrusts to us, entrusts us to be the people who help unlock and unleash and unfurl the goodness and love, the wonder and abundance of the kingdom of heaven into this world. It's not as though God isn't already doing these things, loving and healing and forgiving, but God needs people like us to help usher in those ways of wholeness in life, to help God's dream become realized. And what do keys do? They unlock things. Keys open doors. Keys release chains. We are entrusted with this task of unlocking whatever is keeping people from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus describes as the kingdom of heaven. Being keepers of the keys means that we work in this world to unlock things, unlock minds, unlock hearts, unlock lives. It's like this one man who I also remembered as I was walking around those halls of St. Peter's. He lived with chronic mental illness and had a history of addiction because of self-medication. But by the time I got to St. Peter's, he'd found stable housing and good medicine and all kinds of support. He told of earlier years when the church walked alongside through the midst of it all, through all of his ups and downs, they wouldn't give up on him. 
how they forgave him over and over and even more reminded him of God's forgiveness. When he recalled those hard days to me, he shared how he kind of knew that God forgave him. But it wasn't until the community lived it, showed it, spoke it aloud, that he could actually believe it. The word for forgiveness in Greek in the Bible, it's a word that means to loosen, to release. It's about liberation and forgiveness and freedom, being unlocked. There was this kid I knew in Colorado when I worked at this camp there who heard so many times from his dad that he was no good, a failure, worthless, trouble. He'd heard enough times to believe it and then to live it. He was forced to come to camp, and despite his best attempts to avoid it, he found himself being cared for by his counselor and cabin mates. They told him in their words and actions that his father's words were lies, that he was indeed beloved and precious, that he had value. He got a new name that unlocked the fortress of his heart, this first step in turning his life around. Just last night, a woman from this congregation recently widowed shared with me as she was leaving church how she had spent so much time this summer caught up in worries, bound up by her grief, nightmares about her husband's painful last days, unable to be asleep. When she met this nurse who listened to her, sat down with her, shared some insights, and this woman left those congregations lighter and freer. She talked about how she could finally breathe again, how there is a release to this pressure in her chest that she was going to be okay. She'd be able to live again, even without her spouse of decades. And I said, I just preached this sermon, I said, she was the unlocker for you, that key person. She smiled and nodded and said, "Mm, mostly she was my angel, she said. And this doesn't even mention all those people of faith working tirelessly to literally unlock the chains of those unfairly imprisoned or to get keys into the hands of unhoused people to open doors to safe and secure places to live or those working to open minds and open hearts to value and celebrate people who are too often excluded or pushed to the margins. Unlocking things bringing about the kingdom of God. Maybe you, too, have been unlocked somehow. When people of faith lived or spoke in such a way that you came to know and experience grace and mercy, to be able to love more deeply, to become someone you never imagined possible, to be able to let go of something or even someone you clung to so tightly or to see bigger than before, or to forgive, or trust in your forgivenness. There's this poem I love by a Persian poet, Hafiz's name. It goes like this. The small man builds cages for everyone he knows, while the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful, rowdy prisoners.
We can be people who build cages or drop keys. Jesus and all those images make it clear that we as his followers ought to be key people. It's in those words we heard from Jesus to Simon Peter, words for us too. This time from the message translation of the Bible where Jesus said, This is the rock on which I will put together my church. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. May it be so. Amen.
Now we turn to God in prayer, saying those words Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Like Peter, Jesus gives you a new name, precious, beloved, child of God. And with that name, Jesus also entrusts you with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So use those keys this week to let loose God's love into the world. And may God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you today and always. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.